Welcome to Mika Straight Up, created with support from Bank of America. I give a lot of advice to women starting out because, well, for many reasons, pay equity, gender challenges, but basically because it's really hard. It's really, really hard starting out trying to figure it out. You have to be a mixture of scrappy and eager, but not too eager, and get like abused, but you got to be eager. And you got to be flexible on many levels. You got to work long hours, hard hours. You have to prove yourself, but you don't want to be taken advantage of. You have to understand that you can embrace change and that change isn't scary. You have to learn how to communicate effectively for yourself, but also not overshoot the runway. That's always that's always a fine balance. You've got to learn to fail without breaking down. When you're starting out, you have to like develop a demeanor that is authentic to who you are at a time when perhaps you don't know who you are and you don't know what your value is. It's hard. It's really hard. And I talk a lot about how to handle and overcome these obstacles in my Know Your Value community at Know Your Value events, kind of teaching tips and like the basics, like how to walk in the door, how to shake hands, eye contact, voice, posture, all those things that can sometimes get in the way if you're having a hard time starting out. My next guest does not need any of that advice at all. In fact, she's going to have some for you. (laughs) Jacqueline Johnson sold her first business at 28 years old. Hello. And in 2012, you might recognize this, she launched Create and Cultivate. And she advises startups. She's an angel investor in women-owned businesses. And her best-selling memoir, Work Party, does a deep dive in how to build a business from the ground up. Um, And we're going to start this conversation, Jacqueline, with, do you have big news? Do you have more happening with you? What's going on? Yeah, it's really exciting. So obviously, the last two years have been extremely challenging on multiple fronts. But Create and Cultivate, um, as you mentioned, is a media company for ambitious women, uh, most well known for our large scale events, which you can imagine, very challenging the last two years. We were very fortunate that we were able to pivot and be successful um, during this time and um, announced that we were uh, majority acquired by a private equity firm March 2021, Mm. um, which is obviously a huge opportunity for the company. I'm so excited to see it grow. I I remain as the founder and the vice chair of the business. But in my time there, which was 10 years um, in the making, uh, what I learned was, you know, we created this amazing community of women. We gave them all the information and tools that we could to help them go out and create and cultivate the career of their dreams. But what was missing from that equation and what I kind of felt was capital, right? So when it comes down to it, the most important conversations we had at Create and Cultivate were around capital, raising money, getting money, making money, all things money. Mm. Um, so in my next venture, I'm really excited to be announcing I'm launching my own venture fund. Uh, it's called New Money Ventures. It's a $20 million fund focused on investing in women in the consumer space. So now taking everything I learned on the community side, putting in the capital to it, and hopefully funding the next generation of women entrepreneurs to create and cultivate the career of their dreams. And you are 36? 36. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> that is incredible. That Thank is because you. you talked about 10 years being a long time and I sit here at 54 and you're amazing and it's so exciting. Um, at the same time, you've worked your butt off, right? 
Yes, 100% been dedicated to the job. Um, and it's nice. It's funny. I like joke. I was like, I always was the one asking for money at all my other businesses, right? Give me money, sponsorship, ticket sales, whatever it is. I was like, it's interesting to be on the other side where you have the money to give to people. But right. it's definitely a humbling honor, but it's also exciting because I know what it's like to be that other person, right? On the other side of the table. So be that other person for me, if you could, because I think asking for money is really hard for women. Mm -hmm. And I think it's like one of the worst things that most women do, like they're the worst at negotiating for themselves, asking for money. Uh, first of all, what were you like in the beginning? Like how bad were you and how did you get better? Or were you just, were you like one of these phenoms that were just good at it? Oh, I wish. I Well, what's interesting about both of my businesses is they were completely self-funded. So I never raised venture capital. But I also was the only salesperson at Create and Cultivate up until a couple years ago when we were doing 14 to 16 million in revenue. So I got really good at it. I would say at the early stage, I definitely didn't know how to sell or pitch. And I was always lowballing as we do as women. But eventually, over time, I started realizing the value, obviously, the cost of what it takes from an energy perspective to, um, you know, do what we do. Create and Cultivate and my first company, No Subject, were service-based businesses. So there's no actual product, right? It's like you, the service is the product. So for us, it's it's all energy exchange. So while I was like, yeah, we'll do that for 10K instead of 20K, starting to realize, like, actually, the cost, the human capital cost of that 10K difference is extreme. And being able to say no to things was really important to me. But it was definitely something I didn't learn until two to three years into the business um, after making some of those early mistakes. But I think it's really fascinating being on the other side of the table because as I started even angel investing, I have so many men that slide into my DMs or on LinkedIn, like check my company out, check my company out, and no women. Women wait for the intro. They want the connection. But I'm like, guys, message me. Tell me about your business. Like all these guys aren't scared to do it. Like we need to be more vocal and out there about being able to go out and raise money. And even talking to a friend last night, um, she was like, wait, so you're saying people raise money before they even have a product? I'm like, yeah, people raise money on ideas, you know? So don't be scared to think you need to have your product. You need to have your revenue figured out. You need to have everything good to go before you go out and raise money. People are raising money on ideas. And if you are passionate and have a strong idea and a path to profitability or what, you know, all these different experiences, don't be scared to go out there and ask for money. So how many of those men who are DMing you uh, have like everything all planned out or uh, rather... <laughs> Zero. Right. Zero. Zero. I mean, they make it up as they go along, right? Totally. I mean, they probably even, they, they probably fudge it a little bit. They're thinking big about themselves. I say this all the time. We sit there and depreciate in real time and men lie. A hundred percent. They just make it up. A hundred percent. Thank you. The ego is wild. Like, it's actually, the confidence gap is very real. Um, and a lot of the men that pitch me are overly confident. Um, and the women that push me are confident for sure, but they're not over promising. They're not, you know, they, they really don't want to like be in that position where they aren't delivering on those things. But sometimes you have to be the salesperson alongside the smart businesswoman, right? Those two things can play hand in hand. Um, and it's just been a real masterclass in watching the difference between men and women when it comes to pitching and money. This is everything. Uh, first of all, uh, when you talk about how the women are very concerned about not overpromising, and you also said that you tended to, in the beginning, to lowball. 
You are not alone. Why do women lowball? What is the deal? What are we? What is the math we're doing in our mind that we think? What do we think we're going to get out of that? I think for me at the time, it was a couple different things. I was new to to the industry and like pitching out this concept that I didn't truly know if it would work. Two is that we were self funded, so any dollar was a dollar at that point and could pay an employee. And three was I didn't know the value of what I was offering yet. So I think all those things combined made me take lower pricing to prove myself. And then once I proved myself, I should have been like, okay, cool. Now here's the real price. Right. But I didn't. I just kept saying, okay, well, you're sticking with me. You're doing this. And it's like I didn't really understand the value of what I was giving these people. And the, and the reality is, is like, sometimes that makes sense, right? Right. To go in on a, like a little bit of a lower deal with a bigger brand that has potential and promise, right? But when you start doing it with everyone, that becomes your standard. And it's hard to recover from that. It's hard to go from asking for $5 to $50. So you have to consider that when you are going into those deals. So I, I want to add to that. Um, I think women also do this because they feel untoward asking for money. It's mm -hmm. It does, a, I will say for my generation, because I am almost 20 years older than you, I felt guilty asking for a raise when I deserved one. I asked guilty asking for the same amount that my male counterparts made. I, I still can't explain it. I had to write a whole book on it, Know Your Value. And I had to learn in the process of writing the book. And it was interesting because... My boss, Phil Griffin, was the guy who I asked four times to finally get equal pay. And we, I, in that book, I dissect each failure, each, each time I go in there and I fail at it. And mm. he was reading about himself. It was hilarious. The whole thing was great. But we both came out of it better. And I won't say he let me publish the book because I would have published it. But he was support. He was like, good, this is great. He actually just changed two words. He had used the F-bomb, and I tried to cover for him. And he's like, I don't use, gosh darn it, I use F-bomb. And he, like, said it out loud. And I'm like, oh, God, man. Okay. <laughs> so, but um, but I think we feel kind of weirdly guilty. I don't know if that... Totally. Okay, so it does even, even with you at the beginning. I mean, it, this is what's going... It's a psychology almost. It's definitely a psychology and it's interesting because it's like now I'm so the opposite. Of <laughs> Good that. girl. But it takes a while to get there. And I think also it's because people don't know. Women don't know. They don't know how much other people are making. They feel it's uncomfortable to ask. They're not having these conversations that men oftentimes are. So this is like this all comes back down to generational wealth as well, right? You know, so-and-so's dad on the golf course told him about how to make the money, how much he was making, where it go. And that's just like a generational thing, right? We're now just starting to see women being the breadwinners in their household. And now we're passing on that information. So we're at this like interesting inflection point where, and almost like, I feel like I'm the cutoff because I never asked for raises when I was at a job. I right. had no idea what anyone was making, you know, all of these things. It was, it was not the conversation. And you definitely didn't ask the women that were above you because they were just like stoked to have their job because there was one position for one woman. Right. right? And for your generation, it's, it's even more intense. For so sure. this new generation, is interesting because they're coming in where they are advocating for themselves. They're asking the right questions and they're they're taking it, but they're also almost not understanding where you have to bring the value to ask for the money. Those two things have to go hand in hand, right? So instead of just saying, I need to go in and ask for a raise because it's been three months, 
you also have to bring the backing to ask for that raise, right? The data. So yeah. The data. So it's interesting in that we talk about this a lot at Crane Cultivate, like what you need to be bringing into a review, how you need to be researching what other people's salaries are, how you need to be thinking about what money do you need to make personally just to survive in your life and thrive, right? Um, so that's how we sort of approach it. For me, it took me the, there was this one light bulb moment for me. Mm. The company, the company that acquired my first business uh, was in the same industry, obviously, but they were a PR firm. We were like a PR and marketing firm. And in going through the acquisition process, she was like, we have a $10,000 a month uh, retainer minimum. That's like what we charge. And I was like, oh my God. I was like, really? And she's like, yeah. And I was like, I charge between five and seven on like all my clients. She's like, on your next pitch, say 10, put 10 in the deck, see what happens. The client was like, sounds great, contract. Wow. Not one question, not one negotiation, and whatnot, none pushback, no pushback. The last three years of that business flashed before my eyes where I was like, I could have been charging 10K this entire time. That's right. And it took this girl just telling me, like, this is what we charge to be able to have the confidence to do that. So you lowballed yourself even in your your own fees. Um, and I, I, I think that's definitely... Uh, I wonder if there's a know your value moment beyond that where you realized how to ask, mm. how to really ask effectively. What were the words? What did, and and what did it feel like when it worked? <laughs> I think it's also I think it was just having the confidence to say this is our minimum retainer. We're booked with clients otherwise. We totally, you know, we appreciate if they push back, oh, we only have 8 or 9. The power of saying no mm. and the willingness to walk away mm. is a very powerful thing. And when they signed that contract, I could, I was like, this is a game changer for my mentality and my mindset. Because I think so oftentimes we're like, oh, I just, I just need to sign the contract. I got that deal, this, that, the other. That The power of being able to walk away is something that is not taught, it's learned, right? You have to go through it. And you have to have that experience to give you the confidence to do it again. You know, again, it's something men, I think, are better at. They can hang up the phone. Mm. They can walk away. It's like, it's just doesn't, it just washes right off. We are, we take it so personally. So personally. And I, I yeah, I think that's sort of, um, that's a real, real challenge to not take something personally and to be like, okay, listen, this is obviously not going to work right now. I'm really nice talking to you and walk right out the door. I, I think we just have a hard time doing that because we can't imagine things won't work out. They're sort of like, sometimes they don't work out, right? Mm -hmm. <laughs> and Absolutely. Absolutely. Men are fine with that. They move on to the next. We sit there wondering why it didn't work out. So I'm curious, um, was there an incredible piece of advice or was it your own journey that made you good at this? It was a combination, I would say. I, I always say my first business was a masterclass in being an entrepreneur because I made a ton of mistakes along the way. Mm. And my second business was really how I learned to scale and grow and, and learn from those mistakes. Um, and hopefully this third business will be an even better triumphant success. So I think for me, there were so many moments where, and this is, again, kind of goes back to your point, I broke up with a business partner in my first company. I had a failed acquisition at Crate and Cultivate early on. And these are things that really 
teach you about who you are as a business person and what you can um, sustain as a human, right? Resiliency is required, I always say, in these situations. And these felt like end of days to me. I was like, well, I tried, I failed, like I got to like shut down the company. My mom and dad are both business owners, small business owners. And I feel like they have been, especially my mom, such an important part of my entrepreneurial journey to just say, it's normal, keep going. It's normal, keep going. Because if you don't know what's normal as a business owner and you don't know that failure, things falling apart, and a key employee quitting, this deal falling through, like that's all par for the course. Like that's gonna happen. And it's the way you kind of, you know, show up to those issues and those problems that is gonna define your career. Um, and I think for me, it was all those horrible bad things that happened to me mm-hmm. that made me a better entrepreneur and a better business person. And I think for me, I, I'm really lucky in that, like with Crane Cultivate, I got to interview the most iconic business women of all time, whether it was like Martha Stewart or, you know, Gloria Steinem and Jessica Alba and like, and be able to learn from them along the way of what I was doing was so amazing. And the thing about advice is that's interesting is that always listen to it. You don't necessarily have to take it and it might not be the right time to take it. And I think a lot of the things that I heard and was like, oh, that's interesting, but didn't really come into play until I was selling my company or starting a new company. So just keep those little nuggets in mind as you're like building. Bank of America is dedicated to bringing diverse women talent into the company and to supporting the economic empowerment of women around the world. Recognizing the vital role women play in driving economic growth, Bank of America helps women make connections to build their businesses and make meaningful contributions to local communities. Through partnerships with multiple organizations, Bank of America has helped more than 75,000 women entrepreneurs access mentoring and the capital they need to lead, create positive change, and grow their businesses. To learn more, visit bankofamerica.com women. What would you like the power to do? Copyright 2021, Bank of America Corporation. We're talking with the author of Work Party, uh, founder of Create and Cultivate, Jacqueline Johnson. Um, and I just kind of listening to you, would you describe yourself as scrappy? Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. I am like the ultimate self-founded uh, founder. When we did the private equity deal, they kept making fun of me, like the PE guys, because they were like, you realize you have private equity backing now? Because I was like, we cannot do that. It's too expensive. What's the cost of that? They're like, you have to spend money to make money. And that building or that business at, at its peak was 14 million in revenue oh with God. 3 million EBITDA. So we were, you know, profitable, crushing it. And when you're in that mentality, it's a good thing and a bad thing. It's a good thing starting a business early on. But when you need to scale, you have to learn how to spend to grow. And that was hard for me because I always was like, can we make payroll? Can we make payroll? Can we make payroll? And once you get past that fear and that mindset and you get into sort of the abundance mindset versus the scarcity mindset, mm-hmm. that's when your business will really thrive. Mm-hmm. I love it. And so where we invest, uh, the the new money ventures, you invest mm-hmm. in what kind of companies? And I understand that they are a lot of women-led companies. 
Yes. So we're focusing primarily on women-led companies. Obviously, uh, we all know the stats. 2% of women get VC funding. Only 10% of VCs are run by women. So we just need more women taking the money and giving the money. So we're really excited to be in that space. For us, we're focusing on, you know, game-changing brands and the visionaries behind them. I'm such a proponent of investing in people. Um, having been a founder on the other side, I understand what it takes to reach success, and I want to be able to mentor and provide that money to those founders. We're looking at consumer brands, uh, early stage, so everything from pet, food, uh, health and wellness, uh, fitness, uh, beauty, fashion, etc. Our first investment we made was a company called Frame Fitness, it's essentially the first digitally connected Pilates reformer. Think Peloton, but for a Pilates reformer mm. founded by a woman Pilates instructor who went through COVID, um, had just opened her first studio in Toronto, uh, top of 2020, obviously had to immediately close it down, but had spent a year before that building what she thought was the perfect reformer. Um, and so she's like, wait a second. So I'm in the situation where I open the studio, have to immediately shut it down. But I just went through all this product development to learn how to make the most incredible Pilates reformer. Everyone's working out from home, pivoting this entire idea and creating this beautiful machine. Um, so we're super excited about that product. Wow. Um, and obviously, as we all know, the fitness tech world is blowing up, whether it's Peloton or Climber or, you know, Rower, all these different ones at home. So I'm super excited about her. She's amazing. Um, the other company we invested in is called Museum of Earth. Um, and this is really uh, all about, if you think about the experiential economy, Museum of Ice Cream, all these different experiences that people are excited about. This is the first experience um, that's going to be dedicated to the environment with um, a bent on climate change. So it's going to be this beautiful experience here in Los Angeles opening in 2023 that talks to you about you know, the environment in a way that's exciting about the local LA, um, you know, kind of environment and what we're doing there, but also the impact and effects of climate change and what you can do to help. So it's for the entire family. It's beautifully done. Obviously, we love experiences. It's, it's in my background, it's founded by a woman with incredible board of climate uh, change ex experts on the board of advisors. So that's another exciting one that we are um, into. But we have tons in the pipeline. Happy to report there are a lot of women doing amazing things uh. out there. So it's a really exciting. Time. I love it. So uh, Jacqueline Johnson, of course, entrepreneur, work party, the podcast, the book, uh, create and cultivate. So you, tr you changed from being the person who asks for money to now people are asking you for money. And some of them are men. Some of them are men. We do talk to a small fraction of men with a focus on minority owned businesses. I love it. Has there ever been a pitch to you by a man that was just so amazing? You remember it and you're like, I got to remember, I got to keep that in mind, like what was said. And then is there like best pitch ever by a woman that you can think of? Yes. So I would say when it comes to the men, their pitch style is very different. As I mentioned, it's extremely confident and mm -hmm. they operate in a place. I feel like literally every single man that's pitched me has been like, we're oversubscribed. Like you're just going to get in. It's always <laughs> that mentality, right? Which like, you're lucky. Knows? You're lucky. <laughs> that's, that's the vibe that they're putting off. Women, on the other hand, are like, I, I'm looking for a partner. I want someone who understands my company, who's going to work well with me. It's a different dynamic altogether. Um, some of the best pitches, I mean, some of the companies that I'm really excited about that I've angeled in or that have been the best pitches. And one of the best investments I ever made was I was in the friends and family round for away luggage. So as you know, unicorn brand, billion dollar business, 
Jen Rubio was, who's the co-founder of Away, um, inv- was working at Warby Parker, I think as like a social media director. This is okay. again, ages ago. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. We were friends in New York. We, we were on the same level. We were both like working our way up in like the startup space, like doing our things. And I was like, hey, I just started this thing called Crate and Cultivate. It was like the second one we've ever done. And she was like, Warby should sp- sponsor this. And she advocated for us as like a no name, no nothing brand to sponsor a dinner for us. It was, I think it was like 15 grand, but it was like a huge deal for me at the time. Um, and always had been supportive of me and what I was doing. So I remember it so vividly. I was in, uh, she was in town in LA. We were out getting like a juice or something. And she's like, I think I'm going to start this luggage brand. It's going to be direct to consumer. Uh, you know, think of it as like Warby for luggage and I'm going to start it, you know, I'm going to start raising money. And at the time, Mika, I was not, I didn't have a big savings account. I was just starting my first business. It was, you know, it was all these different things. And I was like, I'll write a check. I just like said it. I was like, I'll write a check. And she was like, oh, really? Amazing. Like we're taking between like, you know, for angels, like 10 to 20,000, which is a lot of money for me. And it's so funny because I remember calling my mom and being like, I need to write a $10,000 check. And she was like, what are you doing? (laughs) You're throwing this away. Blah, blah, blah. Cut to, let's just say I 500X'd that Oh, my Lord. Insane. And it's it's an incredible thing to think about how that came to be. There was no pitch deck. There was no nothing. It was just, this is a friend that believed in me, helped me build my business, and I'm going to believe in her. And I think that's such an amazing story. Now it's obviously much more formalized, and there's all these different things um, kind of happening. But what I look for in a pitch is, how are you disrupting the market? Why are you different? And why should you be doing this? Mm-hmm. Like, those are the three things I ask, and I need to hear that from them. Mm-hmm. If they're doing it because they see a market off and like, oh, we can disrupt this and like make a lot of money, that's not the brand for me. I need the people who are truly invested because, as you know, building a business is hard. It's going to suck for a long time before it's fun. And you have to be willing to weather those storms for a while, especially as women. Like the the odds are stacked against you. So if you're willing to go up against that and be like, I'm going to fight for this business and I'm taking it seriously that you're giving me your money, those are the people I want to be working with. Passion matters. Absolutely. You have to. Like truly believing in what you're doing because you're going to live and breathe it 24-7. You need to to communicate that with your eyes, your face, your voice, your words. Absolutely. Absolutely. And have you ever had a woman, have you ever had a woman come to you with a good pitch, but she's not good at pitching? And did you have to help her pitch? Oh my God, I knew this would (laughs) happen. I knew it. And I'm going to say there are no men that you had to help along, but go ahead and tell me what happened. It's interesting. (laughs) I feel it's interesting because also there's this like expectation now that women founders also have to be the face of their company, right? right? Mm. So this is kind of an interesting new thing where it's like, you have to be media friendly. Mm-hmm. You have to be on Instagram. You have to, that's a whole new world, right? And it's a yeah. world that I've had to navigate on my own. I invested in this company and I ended up investing um, and it's called Heirloom. And they're basically, it's not sexy at all, but they're okay. essentially disrupting the trademark industry. This woman is a trademark lawyer. She's been in the industry forever. And she basically created an AI that will crawl crawl the US database of trademarks to disrupt the trademark industry. Getting a trademark is like a couple thousand dollars. You have to get a lawyer, all these things. It will do it for $499. Mm. It will find any competitors. It'll get you on the phone with a registered U.S. trademark lawyer. It's fascinating. But this woman giving the pitch is, number one, the most qualified woman to give the pitch. She's a U.S. trademark lawyer, and she's been doing it for 10, 15 years. But she's not the charismatic, Uh, on-the-panel founder with the podcast. Right. And it was funny because 
she brought on another woman, I think it's our head of marketing, to be on the pitches with her. And it was it was a game changer for her mm. because she's the expert. She's the person I want running this business. But she's so technical that it was hard. When she was explaining it, I was like, so we need to, you're essentially disrupting the, like, we need to get down to like, what is the, like, you're the Uber of what, right? Yeah, like, yeah. like, really package it up. And so, you know, she went out and raised a ton of money, is crushing it now. But it's one of those things where it's like, you don't have to be good at everything. If you're the expert in one thing, that's amazing. Bring in the person that complements that expertise to help you along the way. Yeah, that's great. That's great advice. Um, And I'm just curious, um, when you were starting out in your career, maybe early 20s, is that Mm -hmm. when you started or okay. Um, Did you envision your career after the age of 50? I don't. It's funny. I was in corporate America for a long time and thought I would remain in corporate America. I ended up becoming an entrepreneur because I was laid off in 20 uh, or 2009 during the the recession. Mm. And that's what really sparked me to get into entrepreneurship. So it was kind of like this weird, like negative experience that turned into something very positive for me. So I never envisioned myself as being an entrepreneur. When I look at an after 50 career path for me, especially as I've like turned 30 and had like a lot of, you know, success in my life, I really wanted to be able to help the next generation of women. And that was important to me because it didn't exist when I was doing it. Right. It was really challenging and it was really hard and it was very secretive. Mm. No one wanted to reveal the secrets to success. There was only room for one of us at the top. And that was a fair mentality to have for many decades. And for me, what I realized was looking at the, the especially generational wealth for women is something that I'm very passionate about. There are secrets to success that no one is telling women. And for me, having exited twice, you know, having seven, eight figure exits, I see where it's all coming from and how it gets done. And to me, that's important to distill and pass down that information to the next generation of women so that we can actually see real change. Because the reality is money is power. It just is the way it is in in America. And the more power that we have in the hands of women, that means the more money those women have to spend with other women-owned businesses. It's a cycle. And we have to kind of create that cycle on our own. I love hearing you talk about money. I uh, Because for, for so long, I've been teaching women that it is about the money. Mm-hmm. And it's okay that it's about the money. In fact, it's important that it's about the money. The money matters. Absolutely. You've got to get the money. <laughs> and the money's how you change things. Exactly. It's just how it is. Exactly. And you and you you don't want to undercut the money because it seems untoward or something. I mean, those exactly. days are over. 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 Jacqueline Johnson, thank you so much. You have so much great advice. I could talk to you for hours, which is probably you're like, ew, creepy. Um, <laughs> but what a great work party. I really appreciate your your coming on Mika Straight Up. Um, and I, I find you to be absolutely fascinating and so inspiring. So thank you. Of course. <laughs> thank you, Mika. As mentioned, I'm a huge fan, so appreciate you having me Yay, on. Yay, a fan in her 30s. Thank you for joining us for Mika Straight Up, created with support from Bank of America. Bank of America is dedicated to bringing diverse women talent into the company and to supporting the economic empowerment of women around the world. 
Recognizing the vital role women play in driving economic growth, Bank of America helps women make connections to build their businesses and make meaningful contributions to local communities. Through partnerships with multiple organizations, Bank of America has helped more than 75,000 women entrepreneurs access mentoring and the capital they need to lead, create positive change, and grow their businesses. To learn more, visit bankofamerica.com women. What would you like the power to do? Copyright 2021 Bank of America Corporation.